You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So here we are, Stranger Things. We've been talking about this for weeks now, and you probably, by now, if you've been listening or you've been coming, you've got an idea. Even if you've not watched the series, you know what we're doing. We're not really talking about the Netflix series, Stranger Things, which was set in the 80s, about preteens, teenagers, about the relationships, um, but really what made the story interesting, makes the show interesting, is all the strange things that happen, because there's a lot of supernatural things, a lot of paranormal people moving things with their minds and controlling objects and people, and also there's monsters and other dimensions and so people have been very fascinated with it because it's a pretty strange series and so maybe you've seen all the episodes maybe you've seen none but today just want to encourage you you don't need to know anything about the show to understand what we're talking about in this series what we are doing is we are taking a look at strange stories from in the bible and there's a lot of them if we're honest we could just do this series all year long because it seems like there's so many strange stories we read them and kind of understand well how does this apply to my life What what do I do with this story now how when I read this story in the Bible, yeah, that's pretty strange and that's weird, but how does that apply to me? What do I do with this? And so that's what we've been doing over the last several weeks. And if you've missed any of them, I encourage you to go online. You can listen on the website or our podcast, get caught up. This has been a really great series, very encouraging, and it's um, been great for me. I've I've had a lot of fun sharing it. A lot of people have said that they've really appreciated it. So we're going to continue that today. And before we do, I was thinking about, um, you know, music bands and, and some of my favorite bands. And sometimes your musical tastes change and sometimes they stay the same. And, and I just wonder maybe if you had a band that you really were into, like say when you were a teenager. And I know for some of you ladies, that could be kind of embarrassing because we might be talking about some boy bands. Um, but by the way, like Backstreet Boys were just here in Pittsburgh yesterday. I don't know if anyone was there, but yeah, they, they were here. They're still touring. And I don't know if you had a band that was your favorite band. But for me, when I was young, when I was a teenager, there was this band and maybe you've heard of them called Rush. And I was into this band like big time. Some of you are like, I know who that is. Some of you you're like, I have no idea who that is. Most people, if they've heard of the band Rush, they know like two songs. But here's what you got to know about this band. They've been around a long time, since the mid-70s. They're still putting music out today. But I had a cousin that introduced me to them when I was a teenager. And I was a drummer. And so they have one of the best drummers known on the planet. His name's Neil Peart. And he's like this crazy drum man, drum machine. He's got like his drum set wrapped completely around him that just goes in a complete circle. And he plays that many drums and did this amazing drum solo and every live concert. It's just amazing how great he was, right? And so for me, it didn't get any better than this. And I was in. I was in big time. Matter of fact, back then um, in the in the late 90s, we didn't have MP3s. We didn't have digital music. You had to have CDs. And now some of you are going to be speaking your language right now. I had one of those CD binders. You know what I'm talking about? You unzip that thing, right? And you open it up and it has all the sleeves that you put your CD in, right? And I was working on my collection and I was putting them like in chronological order of all the Rush albums in this CD, and I imagined myself getting like some puffy paint and writing Rush on the front cover of it. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was going to be amazing. And so for me, it just didn't get any better. And matter of fact, uh, I remember one of the first concerts of that style I ever got to go to. I got to go see Rush when they came to Pittsburgh when they played at the Civic Arena. It was absolutely amazing. Funny story, um, we wanted to go, and this is back before you could buy tickets online, right? We, this was, you know, pre, pre-internet. And so we went outside of the Washington Mall, 
and we sat outside to go to the National Record Mart, if that tells you what era I grew up in, to buy tickets. So we wanted to be there first so we could get the best seats in all of the Civic Arena. So we camp out all night, me, my cousin, and two of his friends, and we had a boom box, like a legit boom box, not an MP3 player, not a Bluetooth speaker, a ghetto blaster. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, this thing was amazing. And we just listened to Rush music and air drummed all night long, and it was so worth it because we're gonna get these great seats. And so finally the mall opens like, I don't know, like 8 a.m. or whatever. We're so tired. We go into the mall. We get in line outside for the National Record Mart to open up. The dude who's opening the store walks by. He looks at us. He's like, I hope you guys haven't been here long. The tickets are by lottery, not who gets here first. Right? We punched him in the face, knocked him out. No, I'm just kidding. And so we were, we were like, you've got to be kidding me. So all these other people show up. They start doing the lottery. Our number is nowhere near the top, right? It's like, come on, you're kidding me. But my cousin in this brilliant moment realizes that there is also a giant eagle attached to the Washington Mall, and they also sell tickets. So we leave this line that we've been waiting in all night, run around the corner to Giant Eagle, and yes, I bought my first tickets to a Rush concert at Giant Eagle in the Washington Mall. It doesn't even exist anymore. Forget National Record Market, the Giant Eagle, the mall, it's dead, it's all gone. It's still there, but there's nothing there. And so we go to the concert, amazing, life-changing, get to ride the T, go downtown, go see that. I'm in like high school, right? It's amazing. We're like seven rows back, right? Getty Lee's playing his bass, and he's looking at me, he's like, I love you, Brian. I'm like, I love you too, Getty. I mean, it was just amazing, right? I was just feeling, it was just vibing, it was just so amazing. And then all of a sudden, we're in the middle of the concert, and we're like, what's that smell? And it's like, oh my gosh, all these dudes who've been fans like back in the 70s, they're blazed, right? They're little, I'm like, get the smell off of me. I'm going to get home. My dad's going to kill me, right? I'm like, I'm not, right? And they're just, I don't think they even heard a single note, right? They're just passing it back and forth the entire show. And it was just such an amazing experience. And I was in, I got the t-shirts, I had the hats, I had the posters. I mean, I was all about this band and everyone knew it. Everyone in my school knew it. I was like the Rush guy. I had the little Rush hat, right? I mean, I was just, the, I was in it. These were my guys. I, I was just, I loved them so much and didn't really think much of it till senior year. Remember how you would get the little wallet pictures? And do they do that anymore? Because people don't have wallets and people don't have pictures in their wallets and no one even really prints their pictures. You probably just take like a picture or you just send someone a selfie now. I don't know how it works. But at that time, we had little wallet pictures and you would write stuff on the back, right? You know, dearest Brian, you were just the most amazing friend, all these. And you just never see them again, right? I still have my stack of pictures somewhere. I should try to find them. It'd probably be amazing um, to post them on social media today. But I remember uh, one friend of mine, a girl, uh, uh, she gave me one of her pictures and, you know, wrote the little dedication on the back and said some nice things um, about me being a good friend, everything. And then just kind of in the middle of it was like, you worship Rush. And she was not wrong. She was not wrong. But it was like later that year where I really recognized when I started coming to my, you know, really owning my relationship with God, I started understanding that people didn't really know about that aspect of me. I kind of really blew it when I was in high school. I didn't do a great job of letting people know that I was following after God or that I worshiped God or, or followed Jesus. It was just you worship Rush. And it kind of made me sad a little bit, right? I was like, man, this is what they're going to remember me for. They'll probably see me, you know, 25 years from now. Oh, the Rush guy, right? And like, uh, you know, yeah, here we are. And so I'd still go see him in a show today. They're, they're, they're amazing. But for me, it just made me a little sad, made me realize that, hey, I kind of blew it. And what I was known for was not the thing that was most important to me. It was for this band who is awesome in their own right, but obviously wasn't or shouldn't have been the most important thing 
in my life. And I want to do this and talk about this story and, and kind of backs this up and helps us understand. But this is a strange story in the Bible. And I've got to give you a little history here because we're going all the way back to the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And just to give you a little history for this, this is in the era where, where God's people would become the nation of Israel. So God's chosen people, the people that he favored, the people that he was going to make himself known to the world and all of history through. At this point in their history, they are, in, they are living in Egypt. So they're away from their land. There was a family. And they all go down to Egypt and they're there. Things are going good until, until this another Pharaoh comes and he sees all this opportunity for, hey, slave labor, right? So he has them working hard. They're oppressed. It's a terrible situation. And then what happens, this guy named Moses, who maybe you've heard before, we've talked about, a little bit about him in this series. God sends Moses. Moses comes to deliver God's people. They're getting them out of Egypt. Pharaoh says, no, you can't go anywhere. And then all these amazing, crazy, strange things happen. God sends all these plagues, all these frogs come, all the water turns to blood, all these flies. It's just a terrible place. And it's so bad that finally Pharaoh's like, get out, just go take the people. And so fine, Moses like gets everyone up. And this is like tens of thousands of people. This isn't like, you know, 20 people caravan. This is a lot of people. So they start to go. They're getting ready to leave. They're marching out of there. And then Pharaoh's like, you know what? Just kidding. You have to stay. Gets on the chariot, chased after him. What happens? The Red Sea splits open. Can you even imagine? The sea splits open and they walk across to get to the other side. They get there safe. The water crashes back over the bad guys, right? Just like right out of the scene in a movie. And then that doesn't stop there as God is getting them to the place because he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you to your promised land. Like you were here. You were in exile. It was a terrible situation. It was a terrible place. But I've got a place prepared for you. Matter of fact, he said it is flowing with milk and honey. It'd be like now if they said it has the most amazing Wi-Fi, right? It's just like milk and honey. Just can't, it just can't wait to get there. It's just going to be so amazing. And so they go and they're on the journey and it's miracle after miracle after miracle. Matter of fact, God sends a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that they follow so they know where they are going to go. Matter of fact, they're hungry. They don't know how they're going to eat. And bread literally rains from the sky. Some of you kids wish you can make that. You wish you can make that happen with your kids, right? Just like they're hungry, boom, manna from the heaven, right? And so it's just amazing to see what God does over and over and over. These people had some of the most amazing front seats in our history to see miraculous things happening over and over and over over again. And so this is their experience, their encounter with God. They finally get to this part on the journey where God's like, all right, it's time to get serious. Do you want to follow God? Are you going to enter into this covenant, this agreement that you are going to be his people, that you're going to follow him, that he's going to be your God? And they're like, we are in. How could you not be? Who would just be like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good, right? How could you say no to that after that experience? So of course they say that they're in. And so this is where we're going to pick up our story. Moses now goes on to the top of this mountain, and they get this most amazing light show, right? God descends on this mountain. It's just like you would think in the movies, thunder and lightning and clouds, and everyone's like, I'm not going up there. And Moses is like, sweet, let's hike this thing, right? And so Moses climbs to the mountain. He tells everyone else, hey, stay here because uh, God's presence will kill you. Okay, I'm good. I'm going to stay, right? And everyone else stays there. He goes all the way to the top to meet with God. This is where God gives him the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard of that with like the stone tablets and God gives them the commandments, but God tells them so much more when he's up there. He gives them instructions on how they're supposed to now follow their part of the agreement, the covenant, that all the things, the rituals, all the stuff that they have to do. And so this is where we pick up our story. They're all now wondering where Moses is. And Moses 
leaves his brother Aaron in charge while he's gone. And here's where we pick up this strange story in Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So they're getting impatient. They're saying, yeah, we're in this. We want to follow God, but we don't know when he's coming back down. Have you seen that thing? It's scary. He could be dead. We don't know. What to, we need you, Aaron, to make us some God. So this is what happens in verse 2. It starts getting strange, people. Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and the sons and the daughters and bring them to me. So they take all the gold, all the jewelry. They bring it to Aaron. And this is what Aaron does in verse 3. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold and he melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. So you catch this? He takes the gold, melts it down, makes it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Pause there. Say, what? Where was this cow? Like, what, what are you talking about? These are the gods. This is what happened. And so he makes this cow. They're like, this is it. And so when the Aaron saw how excited the people were, he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And now the story continues, and we're not going to really read much of it. He, people just, like, lose their mind. Here we go in verse 6. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. Translation, it was a sick lit party, man. It was crazy, right? They people lost their minds. I mean, it's like, ah, golden calf, yeah, baby. I mean, they just like went crazy worshiping this thing. It like, it got bad. Like it got X-rated real quick. Like shield the kid's eyes, right? I mean, it is, it got crazy. These people absolutely lost their minds worshiping this golden calf. And now this is a really strange story. And matter of fact, it gets stranger. As Moses is descending the mountain, God rats out the people and he's like, hey, uh, you know those people you just let out of Egypt? Yeah, well, they're down there worshiping a calf, calling it God, and they're doing all this craziness. You need to go down there and get that under control. And so Moses comes down the mountain, he sees it, and it, I mean, it is a mess. I mean, it is just absolute disaster, right? It's like when you come home, you leave the kids for 20 minutes, you think it's going to be fine, and it's like, how could you have possibly burnt the house down in this short amount of time? This is what happened. Moses is feeling this way. He throws down the Ten Commandments, smashes them. Maybe you've heard that story before. The first first draft has been destroyed, right? He just throws this thing down, breaks it into pieces. He's so angry, right? He brings them each in, puts them across his knee, whips them, spank. no, I'm just kidding. He, he just, he's so mad. And its story actually gets even stranger. We don't even have time to get into it. He takes the calf, he melts it down, turns it into dust, throws it into water, tells them to drink the water that the gold is now in. We don't even have time to get into all of that. Talk about strange, right? It's like, now what is happening here? You know, it's like next time your kids are like, I'm going to melt down that three, that DS, I'm going to make you drink it like it's just just crazy it's what happens it's a strange story and so we have to wonder what in the world went wrong and Moses is thinking the same thing as we if we fast forward all the way in chapter 32 to verse 21 this is what Moses says this is finally after all this happens after the people are about they're getting punished right this is not going to be a good situation verse 21 Moses finally he turned to Aaron and demanded 
What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? What did these people do? Like, what were you thinking? And this may be some of my favorite stories in the Bible, what's about to happen. I, if this does not tell you how legitimate and real the Bible is, and they're not making this stuff up, check this out. In verse 22, this is Aaron's response back to Moses. Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. This is his brother. Talk about kissing up, my Lord. You yourself know how evil these people are. Blame shifting really quick, right? Was it me? Wicked people. Verse 23, they said to me, make us a God who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us from the land of Egypt, which is true. Verse 24, love it. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Oh, come on, somebody. And it just doesn't get any better than this, right? I mean, this is, this is not show the condition of the human heart. And if you've got kids, like you live this verse every day, right? Like, I don't know what happened. We were just kind of, you know, we had some gold. And we threw it in the fire and move. There it came. It was just this calf. And we just started worshiping it. We didn't mean to, right? It just happened. I love this verse, but it's such a strange story when you read this. Like, what is the application? What do we get from this when we read this story? Read such a strange story. And I just love Aaron's, uh, you know, and you know Moses not buying it. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, he just, the calf just randomly came out of the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, just what a situation. But I think if we read this story, we take a look, and it's me, for me, when I was preparing this this week, I, I was really thinking about what does this mean for us? When I read this, how do I take some kind of application that I can apply to my life today? Because sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, when we read these stories, it can be really because it's like, well, what does that have to do with anything? And I think the first point that I would want to say to us is this, is no matter how much we love God, we will constantly try to place something else on the throne of our hearts. No matter how much you and I love God, the experience that we have of him, he changes our life, transforms, we're in love with him, it's amazing, it's awesome, I'm going to serve him, I'm going to follow him. No matter how much that experience, how much, how much we truly do care about God, we are constantly going to try to place something else as first in our lives. And see, I know this is true because when you read this story, if anybody else in human history should have got this right, it was this group of people. I mean, because how can you deny I mean, seas getting split open. God's sending manna, bread from heaven. Matter of fact, they're so sick of eating the bread. One point he sends quails and they get to eat that too. Water comes out of a rock because they're thirsty. There's pillars of fire. There's clouds that are leading them in the wilderness. Come on. I mean, how could you even deny that God? Matter of fact, when this all goes down in this story, Moses on top of a mountain with you know God descends because it's crazy. They're all afraid of it. And so in this moment, we see that this is not just a condition of their heart, but I truly believe this is the condition of the human heart, that we will constantly be trying to follow something else, that as much as we want to love God, as much as we want to follow him, we will constantly in this life be struggling for something else, having priority or being before God. And we see this isn't just an issue with them. This isn't just an issue in the Old Testament. It's just not an issue with people in the Bible. But here now and today in our world, we will struggle with something else that will take priority over God in our life. So what does that mean? 
Well, there's this big old word called idolatry, and maybe you've heard it before. And what does that mean? What is idolatry? Because this is an idol. This was something that wasn't God. And for them in the Old Testament, it was a little easier to understand because they had God, and then they would literally make physical idols. That's what this calf was. This was something they would have probably experienced a lot of in Egypt. They had physical things, objects that they would worship. And we see this over and over again. And you would think they'd get this right now in this story, but they don't. Sadly, as they continue and progress in their history all the way up to when Jesus gets there and beyond, they're still struggling with worshiping all of these pagan or other things that other rituals and religions follow, making physical idols that they would worship. So us, we don't really do that, right? We're not really concerned about making some kind of golden calf or, or an idol or something object that we put in the house and bow down and worship to. But see, I think for us, what we've got to understand is this. Idolatry is simply anything we place above our relationship with God. See, idolatry is simply anything that takes first place in our lives and more importantly in our hearts. What is it that is most important to us? And see, here's what you got to catch on this. Idolatry and an idol, something that comes before God, this might not be bad stuff. These might not be things that are wrong. See, matter of fact, idolatry is something that's an idol in our life could be something that could be really great or even good. You know, I talked about and joked about, the, you know, the love that I had for the band Rush, you know, but for me, it really did become an idol. Is there anything wrong with liking their music? No. Anything wrong going to concerts? No. Like I said, I would go today. If they're coming, let's get tickets. Let's go. It'll be amazing. You'll be embarrassed because I'll be singing all the songs. But see, you have to understand whatever it is, and I can't tell you what this is for you, but every single one of us will have something, or maybe in different seasons of our lives, some things that will constantly be wrestling with to take priority in our lives. And I don't know what that is for you, and maybe it's something that is not necessarily bad, but it's what it comes down to, what's the priority? See, it could be a relationship. It could be a substance or an addiction. It could even be some food, which is not necessarily, and it's bad, but if it becomes an idol and becomes precedent, most important in your life, then it's an issue. Maybe it's sexual desires or encounters, and it's not bad, right? God created that. It's a gift that he's given us, but if it takes priority in your life and your heart, then it becomes something that's an idol because we've placed it before God. It could be a job. It could be a vocation. It could be a career, a school. It could be family. It could be all these things that there's nothing wrong with. And matter of fact, God wants us to enjoy those things, but it's what priority does it have in our lives? This is the difference of something being something that we do, that we have in our lives, to where it then switches and becomes something that is more important to God. And this is a big deal to him. And why is that? And I think this next point really helps us understand this, is that until God is first in our hearts and lives, we won't fully experience his promises. See, when we hear this and we read this and we talk about this story, it's sometimes easy to think, well, man, isn't God just kind of full of himself? What's the big deal? Like, why, why does he need us praising him and singing to him? And why does he need to be number one? Is he just like some like crazy ego, right? And he's just like the crazy jealous boyfriend. Like, I saw you looking at that golden calf. No, I mean, what's, what's the deal? And it, it's not the case at all. I mean, matter of fact, the Bible does say that God is a jealous God, but it's not some kind of creepy boyfriend jealousy. It's that he's jealous for us in a righteous way way. He wants relationship with us. And think about it. He created us, designed us to have relationship with him. We messed the whole thing up. He sends Jesus to make it right. Why? Paid an incredible price because he wants that kind of relationship with us. He's a jealous God, but we got to understand it's not some self-absorbed jealousy. It's simply out of that God loves you and wants his best for you. 
And many times what his best for us that he wants, we might not always think that it's the best. Point in case, if you've ever had children at any stage or you've been around kids, you know that what they want is not always the best thing for them. Kids just want to eat junk food, right? As delicious as Twinkies and ice cream are, you cannot let your child eat Twinkies and ice cream all the time. Why? Because it would be detrimental to their health. Doesn't mean you're a terrible, mean, rotten parent if you don't let your kids eat sweets only. No, it's quite the opposite. It means you love your kids. They might not want to go to school. They don't want to be educated. Forget that. I'm not into that, right? Just classes is not for me. What you're like, I don't care. You're going to school. You're going to learn. You're going to get good grades. Why? Because you're a terrible, mean, rotten parent and you want your child to be miserable? No. You want your child to be educated. You want them to learn and to grow. You want them to be able to get a job someday, right? Take care of themselves, to be able to provide, contribute to society, right? And so when we understand this is the same way that God lives for us, that it's not that he asks us to do things or wants us to do things because he wants us to be miserable and he's a terrible, awful father. It's quite the opposite. But many times we're in the same place and the same mentality as those kids because we don't see it. We see it as here's what I want to do. This is what I want. Here's my desire. And if it doesn't line up with that, then sorry, God, this is what I'm going to do anyway. And God's saying, no, it's not because I hate you. It's not because I'm angry at you. It's not because I don't want you to enjoy life. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. It's because God wants the best for you. And so until God is first in our hearts and our lives, we won't fully experience his promises. And here's what I want you to get today from this story. See, when these people were out in the wilderness and they were lost, didn't know where they were going, and God's leading them and directing them, telling them, I've got a land for you beyond your wildest dreams. And I know this season you were in, it was terrible. It was awful. Matter of fact, it was not my desire for you to have to be slaves, to be punished, to be tortured, to be tormented the way that you did. Matter of fact, it broke God's heart. And so he promised them, I have this place for you that I'm going to take you, and it's going to be amazing. And see, had they stayed in that spot and said, you know, we don't know where Moses is. Yeah, we were going to be God's people, but here's this calf here and now it's first in our life. It's number one. If they would have stayed in that place and catch this and just worship that golden calf and continue to worship to it and sacrifice and follow it and do all the craziest things that they were willing to do because it was number one, they would have never made it to the land that God had promised for them. And the same is true in our lives today. The word of God is full of promises that God has given us as his children. There are so many things. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I came that you may experience life to the full. God wants us to have a great life. He wants to encounter and experience all the great things and the joys that he's put in this life for us. But see, if we don't have God first in our lives, we will never fully be able to experience all the promises that he has for us. And this is where we get caught up sometimes. We're like, man, I, I know God's saying I should have peace. I know I should have joy. I know that's something he's promised me. I know that he said that I'm delivered, I'm set free, and I don't have to be a bondage. I don't have to be a slave to this sin. I don't have to live this lifestyle. I, I don't get it. But see, what we don't understand, that until God takes first place in our hearts and our lives, and we make that effort to keep him there, we will not enter into the promises that he has spoken to us. And see, many of us even have things that we just feel God's called us to do. Or we have things that we feel that God, that we want to achieve or things in our family, the promises that we're relying on God. But see, sometimes it gets messed up because we have not put him first in our lives. And why is that? Because this leads to this last point, which is really important. All idols eventually leave us unfulfilled or worse yet, rob us of that which is most important. 
See, it doesn't matter what it is. It's maybe it's something good, or maybe it's a vice. Maybe it's something that's not great, and you're like, man, that's something I got to take care of because that is destructive. But maybe it's not something destructive. Maybe in itself it's something that's like, what's the big deal? But see, eventually, every single thing, it doesn't matter what it is, it will leave you unfulfilled. How do I know this is true? People who make millions and millions of dollars, right? How much is enough? It's never enough. Why? Because maybe you've heard it said before, and I believe it's so true, that every single one of us has a God-shaped hole inside of us, and we're trying to fill it with something. Because here's what I know, nothing will fulfill, nothing will satisfy. Sometimes we think it's just around the corner. When I get to that level of education, when I get that job, when I get to that point in my career, when I have that relationship, or I have that marriage, or I have kids, or I have the home, or whatever it is, fill in the blank. We think that it will fulfill us, but the truth is it will always leave us empty and wanting more because no idol can possibly compare with the fulfillment that comes with having God first in our lives. And sometimes what's really heartbreaking is sometimes, yeah, it can leave us unfulfilled. Sometimes it can rob us of the things that are most important. See, having something that doesn't belong on the throne of our heart, not having God first can really mess us up. This is what can get in the way of marriages and families and relationships. This is what could send us down the path of addiction or doing something that we really regret. This is what caused people to do things that they maybe regret. They don't even want to do that to other people or maybe even puts them in a place where their attitude changes, their life changes or whatever, and it robs them of something. Maybe it robs them of joy, of peace. Whatever it is, sometimes when we put those things, God is not first. Whatever that is, fill in the blank it can rob us of the things that are most important. And most importantly, it can rob us of our relationship with God. Friends, I've seen it time and time again. Someone loves God, come to relationship with him. They're gonna follow him, they're gonna lay down their life and then slowly something begins to creep in. Something else takes precedent and it's so easy. And if we're not vigilant, it just happens. Sometimes it's not even intentional, but it just begins to take priority. And we begin to chase that thing. We begin to follow that thing. We begin to believe that that's the thing, that's the most important thing in life and nothing else. We just got to get to that point. We got to achieve that thing. We've got to have that status. We got to have that stuff, whatever it is. And it slowly begins to rob us of the things that are most important in life. So we have to ask ourselves the question here as we wrap up today. What does it look like to put God first? As we talk about all this and we talk about, you know, what does it look like and why is it important that God's first in our lives? And we understand that it's not just because God is some self-absorbed, jealous God, but it's because he wants the best for us. So what does it look like to make sure that we're putting God first in our lives? And this is really difficult because I can't do this for you. No one can really do this for you. Now, some people might be able to point out and say, yeah, there's some really things that you've got to get in order. But really, when it comes down to it, you know what has your heart. And so when we take a look and we have to ask ourselves this question, many times I really believe it has to do with the fruit in our lives. What are the things that take priorities in our life? What are the things that we're doing? What are our actions, our words, the things that we are saying, the way that we live our life, the way that we treat and react to other people? Many times that can be a great indicator of showing us what's most important in our lives. But see, I heard it said this way once, and I believe it to be true. There are two things that show us more than anything else what has our heart. And you've probably heard me say it before. The two things are our calendar, our time, and it's our money. Two things that show more than anything else what has our heart. Is anything wrong with what we spend our time on? Is there anything wrong with having money or spending money? No, but here's what you gotta catch. 
more than anything, especially in our society and our culture. If you really want to see what is most important to you, what are you spending your time on? What are you spending your finances on? And see, this isn't some judgmental condemnation thing where it's like, how dare you? You should be giving more. You should be serving more. No, see, it's just like so many things that we get missed up and twisted in Christianity and following after God. See, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And many times God can't have your heart because your schedule and your finances have it. And so many times it's just simply an act of worship. And God's not angry because he's like, you need to be serving more. You need to be giving more. No, he's just saying, hey, Maybe you've got to release this and trust me a little bit and show me that you're willing to follow me. You're willing to trust me. You're willing to put me first. And many times what we do with our finances, what we do with our time simply is an act of submission and worship to God, reminding ourselves, reminding me, reminding Brian that God is first in my life. And we don't have time to get into it, but there's so many reasons why that's an issue, why it can be difficult, why it's hard to trust God with our finances, why it's hard to take that step of faith and be generous or trust that God's gonna take care of us, why it's so hard to make margin and time to serve and to give back, to make God a priority, not just in serving, but spending time with him, spending time reading the scripture, spending time in prayer, spending time in reflection, just spending time in relationship and talking with him. See, friends, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. So this week, I just really want to challenge you to begin to make a step because there's no magic bullet. There's no wand that we can wave and say, poof, now God will always be the first priority and you won't want to ever chase anything else. That's not true at all. We will constantly, as long as we have breath in our lungs, be fighting this battle to keep God number one in our lives. But I want to encourage you this week to just make a step. Maybe just begin to examine your heart. Maybe you just even bring it before God. Maybe just find a couple of minutes. God, have you been first in my life? Has there been some things that I need to lay down? Are there some things I need to pull back on? Because even though these can be something that's good, it's kind of just taking over and controlling my entire life. Maybe it's something that's destructive and it's just been an issue and it's just time to get help with that. It's time to say, I need someone to come alongside me and help me in this. Maybe it's something that's become unhealthy and it requires some counseling. Maybe it's something that become unhealthy and it takes some accountability to someone, brother or sister, say, I need you to hold me accountable to this because I know this is first in my life and it's hurting me and it's hurting those around me. Just take a step towards putting God first in your life. And I truly believe when you begin making that step, you will see all of those promises, the things God said that he would have, the joy, the peace, the freedom, the fullness of life that only comes when he is first in our lives. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that you love us so much. And more than anything in the world, you want relationship with us. And God, I know it's so easy sometimes to get it twisted, to think it's all about this performance mentality. We've got to do all these things and jump through all these hoops and do all these things and check the religion box so that you will love us and care for us and bless us. But God, that is not what you are about. Matter of fact, it's the opposite of who you are. God, that you are so full of grace and you are so full of mercy and forgiveness and second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God, that you want relationship with us more than anything. God, I pray today that as we talk about this, this can be something difficult because it could sting a little bit. 
Because God, sometimes it's hard to be honest with ourselves and to really check our heart on what has our priority, what, what has our life, what is most important to us. God, that it's not a message of guilt. It's not a message condemning people. But God, it's the reality of saying, God, that you loved us so much. God, that it's not that we have to put you first, but that it is our honor and our privilege and our desire, our act of worship and act of sacrifice, God, to put you first in our lives. Recognizing, God, that it is not something selfish that you want, but it's the best thing that we can do. Because, God, when we have those priorities right and you are at the center, God, it sets ourselves up for the best possible scenario. God, when you are the center and first in our homes, in our marriages, in our career, in our job, in our lifestyle, out in our finances and our calendar, God, all the things, Lord, when you are center, when you are first, God, all the priorities begin to fall in place. God, I thank you that you love us and that you care about us. God, I pray today that we would make the step this week of beginning to examine our hearts and maybe even making the difficult choices, maybe even having some difficult conversations maybe even coming alongside with a spouse and just even checking it for our family. Where is our priorities? Are we communicating to our children that God is first? Are we setting a precedent that he is the most important thing in our schedule? Are we setting them up for success to following you by the example that we are leading and showing them? God, I thank you for helping us to make you a priority. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.